So this morning, you guys ready for uh, this morning's message? Uh, the last two Sundays, we've been talking about miracles, right? About three weeks ago was Easter. We talked about um, how the, the miracles that took place on Easter. Uh, last Sunday, we talked about the many, much more miracles that took place uh, that we can't just contain it all to one Sunday, and I could keep going on. Um, but I do feel like the Lord wants to transition to a kind of, a, it's connected. Um, but uh, the title of this morning's message, if you're taking notes, is, uh, oh, I got to switch my notes too. Hold on one second. Give me a second here. There we go. Uh, kind of a strange title. It's Uncultivated Ground. That's the title of this morning's message, Uncultivated Ground. What in the world does that mean? Uh, let's find out. Uh, there's a verse in the Bible that I read earlier this week and uh, during my devotional time, and God was speaking to me personally. But then as I was just kind of taking my own notes personally, I felt like God was kind of giving me a download of just more information, just more than normal on this one verse I was reading. And so I've just been chewing on it all this week to see if this is what God had for this Sunday, if it was for something different. And God just kind of brought confirmation throughout this week that this is the word of the Lord for us this morning. So I am believing that this devotional message that God spoke to me is something that is more than just for me, that each one of us have something we can get out of it this morning. So before we read um, the verse, can we do, I know we prayed already so many times, but Jesus said this is the house of prayer. And we're going to pray one more time that each one of us are fed, right? I love what Jesus said. He quoted the Old Testament, that man does not live by bread alone, right? But by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so I believe that God's word is living and it's active. And there's something today that he wants to impart to us. He wants to feed, his, feed us with his word. But sometimes, like babies, we've got to cry out, I'm hungry. I want some food, God, right? If, we just, if we're complacent, sometimes we miss the word of the Lord. And so that's why we do this often. We pray to let ourselves know, but to also let God know, hey, Pick me, feed me this morning, right? Like those babies, uh, I think of baby birds in a nest, right? Chirping with their mouths open, like, mommy bird, feed me, feed me. Would you pray this morning that we'd be hungry for the word of the Lord, that you would be hungry for the word of the Lord? Is that making sense? So let's pray that happens. God, I thank you that your word is living. It's active as your word declares. But we believe that in our mouths and we confess it with our mouths that we need your word. God, that without your word, our life is full of doubt, full of fears. And we just sang this morning that we are not standing in fear, but in victory, knowing that we are in your love. And so I thank you that your word speaks those truths to us. So would you feed us with nourishment this morning, God, that would give us strength for today and bright hope for today tomorrow. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen, amen. All right, so Proverbs chapter 13, verse 23 says this, much food is in the uncultivated ground of the poor. Much food is in the uncultivated ground of the poor. What does that mean, right? I think I've read Proverbs I'm thinking I've read that book of the Bible maybe more than any other book of the Bible. Um, it's one of those ones that I read a lot when I was young because they, they said that young boys didn't have a lot of wisdom, and this was a book of wisdom, so I was like, i got to read that book. So every day of my life, I read Proverbs. And I love, as Pastor Greg has shared many times, that there's 31 chapters in Proverbs. So no matter what day of the month it is, you can find a proverb for that day of the week. So today's the 17th. Is that what today is? 18th, I'm day behind. Uh, 18th, you can read Proverbs 18, right? So I just, I love that. I encourage you, if you never know what to read in your devotional time, one of your pastor's favorites is Proverbs, just read the, the chapter for the day. Um, as I was doing that, Proverbs 13, I read this and I said, wow, what does this mean? And so for me, um, I love that. That's why I titled this morning's message, Uncultivated Ground. And so 
My first point, I may not get to all three points in order or I might go out of order, um, but when I'm talking about this uncultivated ground, my first point is we see potential. We see potential. I'm saying that when we see uncultivated ground, we at Osby River Church, we as the body of Christ, we see potential. When we see a dry and weary land where there's no water, we say, oh, but this is a place where rivers of water can burst forth. We see potential. When we see a, a baby, right, we see so much potential. We know that this baby is alive, but we know that this baby doesn't understand everything yet. But we see the potential. This baby might be a concert pianist, right? We see this baby might be a sports star, right? We see all these things, all the potential of what we can invest into this baby and then what it can happen. I, I think of, um, maybe not even a baby, I think of a physical house. When Jen and I got married and then we began to go house hunting, um, we picked, I'll say we, she picked uh, the ugliest, most rundown house in the entire neighborhood, right? But there's wisdom in that, right? Location, location, location. She had wisdom to know, don't buy the nicest house neighborhood, buy the one that's the cheapest and the one that's got problems and you fix it up and it gets worth more, right? So she saw potential in a house. I'll be honest with you, when we bought our house, it was a druggy house. There was people that were doing drugs there. It was about, I don't know how many families were living there. It was by far the most physically ugly house, and I'll say spiritually, probably the darkest house in the neighborhood. Uh, we had, for the next several months, people knocking on our door saying, where's my money? And they wanted, you know, anyways, just, it was a bad, bullet holes in the front window. I could keep going on. She saw uncultivated ground, and she saw potential, right? And so I'm saying, that's who we are. I know she's better at it than I am, but I want to learn. I think there's some of us in this room, we have room to improve to see the potential of uncultivated ground. And I feel like the Lord is saying that this morning, that there's uncultivated ground in your life. There's things, there's opportunities in your life that we go around unaware. I quote it often, right? How Jacob went to sleep with a rock as a pillow. Who does that, right? But what happened? He encountered the Lord there, and he said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't even know it. I feel like there's so many times the Lord is in the uncultivated ground. We've been talking about miracles. I think there's times we walk on barren ground, and there's miracles under our feet, and we have no idea. And I'm saying this morning, we've got to learn to say, no, we see potential. When I see someone's life, I... I love, if you got to listen to last Wednesday night, uh, we had a good time worshiping the Lord. I'll say to me, the highlight of the night was probably a three minutes of the whole service. When you heard Pastor um, Greg was pound, uh, picking on Vincent several Sundays ago. And for three minutes last Wednesday night, Vincent came up here and just shared some of his testimony. To me, 10 years ago, he was uncultivated ground. I, this is not me, he shared it. He shared on Wednesday that he grew up in this church as a little kid. He turned his back on the Lord. I'm giving your testimony. He, I know it's okay. We talked this morning. But he turned his back on the Lord, and he even said it on Wednesday night. He said that he actually worshiped the devil. He actually gave sacrifice to the devil. Not just like, I don't need God in my life and kind of do my own thing. He actually did the exact opposite of worshiping God. He worshiped the devil, and yet he's here today part of our worship team. That's because he had a grandma who said, I see potential. Amen. Even for years, 10 years of worshiping the devil, she said, no, there's potential in this uncultivated ground. I see it. I'm going to keep praying into it. I'm going to keep sowing into it. I'm not going to give up. There's something there. And I'm saying, I think there's many of us, we have maybe 
Vincents in our lives. We have different opportunities in our lives. There's things here, I'll, I'll even say it, I think there's physical rooms and physical things on this church property that are uncultivated right now. And the Lord is saying, who is willing to see uncultivated ground and begin to speak and begin to see the potential? And begin to say, I see potential in this. How many people need to hear that? My, as, as you heard my wife say, she's a teacher. I can remember growing up, uh, my mom was a teacher for, I don't know, 40 years. She's incredible. One of her best gifts is that she's able to speak life over people. She would speak into me. I, I'll give you an example. I think I shared it before. I grew up going, you know, with my mom as a teacher, and I grew up going to school, and reading was not my favorite, right? I look at my kids. They're on devices all the time. Like, ah, go read a book, right? Ah, reading. That's not very fun to go do. They want to watch a video, right? And so this idea of reading was work, and in all honesty, I was not a great reader at a very young age, six, seven years old. I could read, but I didn't enjoy it. And I wasn't good at it. But my mom kept telling me, Ryan, you're such a good reader. Anytime I would read out loud and I was struggling or whatever else, she's like, oh, you read that so well. You put the right you know, emphasis before you even knew what the exclamation point was. She just began to speak into this uncultivated ground. And finally, I began to say, I'm a good reader. I'm a good reader. I like reading, right? Because of this, I was this... I was formable. I just feel like there's so many times where I think you and I, we carry power to say, no, I see potential in this. I see potential in people. People that maybe we've written off. I, I don't like to always go political, but man, there's probably some politicians you've written off. And God is saying, would you see the potential? Would you see the potential in people? Would you, not, would you begin to look at things different? I, I love the background of the slide here, right? This barren land, and yet there's this one tree growing, right? I think we've got to learn to see opportunities, things in your life. I'll, I'll give you, maybe it's not people. Maybe it's gifts and talents. I just said reading. Uh, I look at some of my kids. Um, I, I'm picking on lots of individuals today. Uh, Joshua, he's musical. Out of all my kids, they're all gifted. They all can start learning how to read music. They all have their abilities. But he, out of all my four kids, he's drawn. We have to tell him, stop playing the piano, Joshua. Every time you walk by, it doesn't mean you have to play the piano, right? Because he's got something inside of him that he enjoys. But we've got to cultivate that. I just, you know, Jen and I, we've got to say, okay, we've got to give him some lessons. We've got to do some things to cultivate this. What does cultivate mean, right? We say uncultivated ground. It means this hard, this fallow ground. But it needs to be cultivated. Meaning there's things, there's nutrients, there's things below the surface that need to be broken up and stirred up, watered, right? And so I just feel like there's things that God is saying this morning that there's potential all around us. And are we seeing it? Are we seeing the potential around us? I think there's things that sometimes, I don't know, I had to share this uh, with my youngest. Uh, there's victim mentalities or there's poverty mentalities. There's these words that sometimes I, I grew up in the church and they just make sense in my head and I have to explain them. And so there's this poverty mentality. What does that mean? That we think poor, Right? That scripture says there's much fruit in the ground of the, of the poor, right? There's people that are poor. They have a poverty mentality. They think this is what I own and nothing good can come from it. And God is saying, no, it's time to shift our mentality. You think with poor thoughts. I want you to begin to see things differently. There's things in your life where you say, well, I'm not gifted. I'm not talented in this area. And God is saying, no, I want you to see the potential. I want you to see that there's opportunity here. 
That what did Paul say? In my weakness, God's strength is perfected. I love that even in Scripture, as you read these things, that you have Paul, who was a Jew of Jews, right? Like, he was born, was it Benjamin? I'm not getting my things right. He's a Benjamite, right? And he was under Gamaliel. Like, he was, he understood the law. He had memorized the first five books of the Bible. He knew how to teach Jews. And, and then you had Peter, who was a fisherman, who was uneducated. And what did God do? God had Peter teach the Jews. And he had the Jew of Jews teach the Gentiles. Why would he do that? They were equipped and ready to do this. And God says, no, let's switch it up. I think there's sometimes there's things where, well, this is my natural gift. How many times have I told you that most of my life I have felt like I'm not a natural born leader? I look at my wife, and I'm like, she's got all the giftings, all the personalities for a leader. I look at my life, I'm like, I don't like being in front of people. And God, you called me to be a pastor? What are you thinking, right? But God sees things differently. God sees potential where we write things off. And I think there's things in your life where we might have a poverty mentality. We might think, well, I'm not capable. I don't have potential in this area. And God is saying, who told you that? Did I tell you there's no potential in that? And I feel like God is saying this morning, he wants to change our mentality. I, I think about how things grow, right? We're talking about this dirt, uncultivated ground. How do things grow? There's dirt that has to be broken up, as I shared. But really, I think about a farmer, right? They have to break up that ground. They have to put seed in it. They have to water it, feed it, do all these different things. But really, can a farmer make physically a seed grow? Or is that God? It's God. God, it's a miracle, right? When we see a baby, we just dedicated a baby. We know that a mom and dad have to do something, right, to make a baby happen. My kids don't want to hear that. Um, but really, it's God. God does a miracle. Every time you are born because of a miracle, you are a miracle. God created you as a miracle. But there's something that a mom and dad had to participate. You and I, a farmer, has to participate to make something grow. You and I, we have a role to play. And I feel like this first point is we have to see the potential where the world or our old way of thinking would say there is no potential here. Hmm. I'll come back to that. There are places in our lives where it looks dry and nothing good can come out of it, but really the miraculous is there waiting to be cultivated. So we'll go on to the next point. We see potential, but now from this verse... We proclaim promise. We proclaim promise. So what is our role? First, we have to see that there's potential here. Now we have to, with our mouths, proclaim that there's promise. I have some verses for this. In 2 Peter 1.3, it says this. Everything we could ever need for life and godliness has already been deposited in us by His divine power. What a powerful verse. Everything we could ever need for life and godliness has already been deposited in us by His divine power. Like I just said, some of you are like me, where you said, I'm not qualified, I'm not good at that, I'm not trained in that area, and God is saying, it's already been deposited. Everything you need, every tool and resource you need has already been deposited into your account by His divine power. Not because you went to Bible college, not because you prepared yourself, no, because God deposited it into your account. I, I love it. As I said, Bible college just made me think, 
I have pastors that I love listening to because they are super well-educated. Like they've been to seminary and then seminary and they've got like multiple doctorates and they're super smart and I love listening to them. And I shared last week. Then there's pastors, like I had Pastor Casey Diaz preach a year or so ago. And he's like, I'm like Peter. I'm the untrained fisherman. He grew up right in the streets. He grew up as a gang member, went to jail, had a life sentence. God redeemed him, pulled him out, and now he's a preacher. He's like, I'm not educated. I just know God saved me, and I love him, and I want people to know what God did in my life, and so God calls me a preacher. I love listening to that kind of a preacher too. It doesn't mean that you have to always be prepared and have everything ready to go. No, God says you already have it deposited into your account. Everything you need for godliness and good living, for life and godliness, is already in your account. What a, you lack no good thing. That's a verse that's been going on for the last probably two years. I feel like the Holy Spirit has just brought that to my mind over and over again. You lack no good thing. In fact, can I have you repeat this after me? Say this, I have what I need. need. Do it again, I have what I need. Third time, I have what I need. need. We need to get that pressed down into our spirit. That we have the promises of God. So that was 2 Peter 1.3. Let's read the next verse. 2 Peter 1.4 says this. And he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature. Let that sink in for a second. He has given you great and precious promises. What's one of those great and precious promises? That they enable you to share his divine nature. That... If this wasn't scripture, I would think it's blasphemous. Like, God is holy, holy, holy. Like, we're, we're way down here and we just worship God. But he's saying, no, one of his promises that he's given us is that we can share his divine nature. What? That sounds like a too-good-to-be-true promise. But it's the truth of God's word. Uh, I, I remember uh, on Wednesday night, um, Jose was sharing that he had heard earlier in the week that we are welcomed in, I kind of said it during our prayer this morning, the divine romance. What does that mean? That the, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they're in this divine romance. They love each other so much and they enjoy each other so much. They don't need anything else. But in this love relationship, they said, we've got to increase this love. Let's figure out how do we bring more people in. Let's create mankind in our own image. And let's bring them into the divine. When God created the Garden of Eden, when God created humanity, he was saying, let's welcome some more people into the divine, right? That's what this verse says, that we have this promise to share his divine nature. Just more about his promises. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says this. I've been saying this a lot in the last couple of weeks. For all the promises of God in him are yes, And in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. All the promises are yes and amen, right? We sang that song last Sunday. We might sing it again this Sunday. All of his promises are yes and amen, meaning there's this word of God is full of promises. But there's something about it that it says they're yes and amen. And I want to read to you another translation of that same 1 Corinthians 1.20. I have another slide that's another translation that says this. For all of God's promises find their yes of fulfillment in Christ, and as his yes and our amen ascend to God, we bring him glory. I love 
reading verses in different translations because sometimes it unlocks my understanding. Wait a second. All of his promises are yes and amen, meaning Jesus is the yes. They're all fulfilled. All the promises of God, even from Genesis, all throughout the Old Testament, Jesus, it's a finished work at the cross. He fulfilled it all. He says you can partake of the divine romance. All of God's promises are yes because Jesus fulfilled them and says they're available to us. But they're yes and amen when it comes out of our mouth as an amen. That's why the second point was we proclaim promises. When we see fallow ground, when we see things not going the way that God would have them go, when we see things not going the way we think they should go, we can speak God's promises. When we see something being stolen, we know the enemy comes to steal, kill, destroy. When we see ground that is fallow, that's not bearing fruit, that's not God's design. That's not God's intent. We know that when he created the Garden of Eden, there was fruit. We know that when Adam sinned, he had to sweat, right? The sweat of his brow would bring forth fruit. But in the garden, there was something different. Adam still had to tend the garden. There still was work to do, but it was joyous. There was a partnership. God did it, but somehow I don't understand all of it. I don't clearly understand all of it, but I know I will one day when we go to paradise again. We are going to be working. We're going to be doing things, and we're going to find fulfillment and joy in that. It's not going to be from the sweat of our brow. It's going to be from joy of participating with God. So there's this idea that we participate, we partner, and it comes from speaking what Jesus has already declared. As I said, God's word is living and active. There's several times in scripture it says it's a double-edged sword. You've heard me share this before. In the Greek, double-edged sword could also be translated double-mouthed sword. God has already spoken it. He's waiting for you and I to read it and then speak it. All of his promises are already a yes. He's waiting for them to become an amen in our mouth. So as we proclaim promise, things shift. Uncultivated ground becomes fertile ground. Ripe for God to do a miracle. Another verse I want to read to you. Isaiah 54.1 says this. Rejoice, O barren woman, for your womb will have more children than the fruitful. This is a paraphrase. You can read it. There's different ways of saying that, but this is the context of what this verse is saying. It's a long verse. But I love what it says. It says, rejoice, O barren woman. It's the same idea that you can see fallow ground, but you begin to speak life over it. You begin to rejoice and get excited seeing the potential. You began to get excited and say, this is what God says. Um, ah, you hear me say often, right? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice, right? Philippians 4.4. 4. But there's also, oh man, I have it written down somewhere. I know it's in 1 Thessalonians. I think it's 5. Someone can... 16, thank you. 17 and 18, I know it is. 16, rejoice always. Verse 17, right? Pray without ceasing. Pray continuously. 18, give thanks in all circumstances, right? This is the Lord's will for you. But this idea is, I love that, rejoice always. I read that and I think, if I don't have joy in my life, then I have to rejoice to get my joy. There's something about God's kingdom that things are sometimes just upside down. It doesn't make sense in our natural mind. That if I have a spirit of heaviness, then I have to put on a garment of praise. If I don't have the joy of the Lord being my strength, then it's time to rejoice and get the joy. To me, those verses, they're kind of the antidote for so much. If you have um, 
depression. Like you have mental disabilities where you're not able to think hope thoughts. You're, you're constantly a pessimist. Then to me, the antidote is be thankful in all circumstances. Begin to get thankfulness in your mind. Begin to thank God for what he's already done. Begin to thank him. And it's amazing how you become optimistic. Depression goes away. These are actually kind of tools. Sometimes people go to psychiatrists and psychologists when really there's really good medicine in God's word. If you lack the joy of the Lord, begin to rejoice. It sounds backwards. It sounds like it doesn't make sense. But this is what Isaiah is saying. If you see barren ground, you see that you are not bearing fruit in an area. You're not producing children in an area. I get that could be physical, but I mean spiritually. I mean in every area of your life, things aren't being produced. There isn't fruit. He says, begin to rejoice and watch how the fruit comes. You rejoice first, the fruit comes later. And I feel like what kind of bringing this in a little bit more specifically what God is saying, I feel like we're in a season here at Osborne where it's time to conceive. I don't feel like we're fully, like, next week we're going to give birth to a whole bunch of new ministries. We're going to give birth to all these new things that God is doing. I feel like we're in a season where God is saying, begin to look at fallow ground. Begin to look at places. I, I'll give you more specifically. As I walk through our campus throughout the week, sometimes I, I walk through our facilities and I see our classrooms. Some of you have not been in our classrooms for over a year, right, due to the pandemic. Jenny has repainted and redone things upstairs that most of you haven't seen. There's things that are already getting prepared for what's about to happen. And I'm just praying spiritually into these things. All right, God, I know it's not happening next Sunday that we're going to have 100 kids on our, our property. But it's my job right now to begin to see it. Begin to see our rooms filled. To begin to see different things on this campus. Ah, oh, I can see it. I can conceive what God is about to do. The giving birth isn't here yet. But we've got to learn how to do this, how to recognize opportunity, right? That first thing that we see opportunity, right? But now we're declaring things. We're proclaiming his promises. I'm rejoicing as a barren one, as a pastor who doesn't have a full-fledged children ministry where things are just filling all the classrooms. I'm going to be this barren woman that says, I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to rejoice. I feel like, again, Proverbs 13, 23 that we read, it is kind of that declaration. Much food is in the uncultivated ground of the poor. It's that first part. We're proclaiming it. There is much food here. There's much fruit. There's many more, much miraculous things about to happen, right? There's all these things that we're proclaiming these things because we, God's word says it. It's not just our own thoughts. I'm not just proclaiming what I think or my emotions, I'm rooting it to God's word. All of his promises are a yes, and I'm going to make them an amen out of my mouth. Amen. All right, third one. So the first one, I've got to remember, right? We see potential, we proclaim promise. The third one, we increase possession. We increase possession. Uh, I've been thinking about this. There's scripture that says that Jesus the increase of his government will have no end. There's an increase of Jesus' kingdom here on earth. Before Jesus returns, there's an increase of his kingdom. I look at the natural, I look at statistics. In America, the church and the attendance of the church has been shrinking. But I look at that and I don't get depressed or discouraged. I say, oh, no, no, no. 
I know that's what's happening in the natural, but God's word says the increase of his government will have no end. There's an increase that we are to pray with him that his kingdom would come, his will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. I'm not just praying, God, take me out of this earth so I can go live in your kingdom one day. No, my role is to increase. That's the, do you guys remember, I shared this just a few weeks ago. What were the very, very first words, back in Genesis in the Garden of Eden, what were the very first words out of God's mouth to hit human ears? You guys remember? Be fruitful and multiply. The very first words, very first words to humanity. Be fruitful and multiply, meaning increase. Adam and Eve, I created you, now bring an increase. There's something that God is saying, we are to bring increase everywhere we go. Where it's barren ground, then bring increase. How do you do that? You proclaim promises. There's all these things. So it's part of our DNA. It's part of what we were created is to advance his kingdom with him. Let's read some scriptures. I got, I don't know, several more scriptures to read this morning. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says this. A stingy sower will reap a meager harvest, but the one who sows from a generous spirit will reap an abundant harvest. I've heard this lots of times. I read some commentary, and it says that in the Aramaic, so getting you guys remember your Sunday school trivia, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in what language? Greek. Greek. All right. But what was the, the common language that Jesus and everyone during his day 2,000 years ago, what did they speak most commonly? <laughs> Aramaic. He spoke Hebrew. He read from the Torah, right, which was Hebrew. They spoke Hebrew. They spoke, they spoke Greek. But, but the common language that most people spoke, it's kind of like English, right? You go to Europe, you go even all, you travel. English is kind of the, every pilot speaks English. I'm not saying that we, English is the best language. It's just the most common, right? So Aramaic was the most common language back then. And if you go to the translations of the Aramaic, it was written in Greek, but they had translations in Aramaic, and they said that, Maybe the spoken language, this is how you would translate this. It says, the one who sows with a storehouse full of seed remaining. The one who sows and at the end of sowing still has a storehouse full left over. So they sowed sparingly. They had a whole bunch in their accounts and they only gave a little bit. And God's word is saying, those who do it that way, they only reap a small little harvest. There's something about sowing. There's something about you and I, we've been given promises. We've been given the word of God. We've been given all these blessings in our life. I love the Old Testament. It talks about how Israel, God's chosen people, you and I were his chosen people, they were blessed to be a blessing. You and I, whether we see it or not, we view ourselves sometimes as poor. Oh, there's no, there's no fruit coming out of my life because I'm poor. And he's saying, no, the way the Lord looks at you your storehouse is full. And he's looking for those who will sow, not sparingly, but generously. So that's 2 Corinthians 9.6. A few verses later, 2 Corinthians 9.10 says this. God is the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food. God is the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for the food. What does that mean? I can do a whole sermon just on that one verse. God is providing in your life food for you to eat, supplies that you are to take in for yourself, but he's also providing seed for you to sow, to multiply. This morning, hopefully, all of us are getting fed the word of God. We're all eating what God has for us. But I'm believing 
that we're not only receiving bread, that you and I this morning are receiving seed. There's things that God is depositing into our account that we would go sow throughout this week. Things that we would speak over other people. Promises that are for ourselves and promises that are for other people. And we're learning how to be sowers. To find soil and begin to set, scatter seed. Ah, Let me read some more verses. Isaiah 55.10 As rain comes down from heaven that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. We just read that, right? So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. God's word this morning is being fed to you as manna, food for today. But I'm believing there's seed in what he's saying too. This is what his scripture says. I know my time's running out and I got to figure out where I'm going. Because I have several more things I want to say, so give me a second here. Okay, I'll interject it right here. I know I've shared this at least once before, probably more, maybe twice. So 20 years ago or so, um, when I was in Bible college, I remember it's, it's a, a profound moment in my life. Where I looked at my life and I realized God had been blessing me so much. I realized that my storehouse was full. And as this 20-year-old, I realized I just was thinking, I was genuinely thankful. I, I don't mean financially. I was, trust me, I was a poor student, right? Um, eating hot dogs and cup of noodles every day. Um, but I mean spiritually. I recognized that my parents both loved the Lord, and I grew up in a good godly home. I was being raised in this church so much. I had so many people like my mom, beyond my mom, seeing potential in me and speaking into my life, blessing me, encouraging me. And I just realized my life was full and rich of blessings from God. But it hit me, this verse, like a ton of bricks when I was 20 years old. To whom much is given, much is required. And I began to realize, oh no, I have a lot of bread, but I didn't realize my bank account and my, my storehouse was raking up full of seed. And I realized, oh no, oh no. And I prayed probably a silly prayer to some of you, but it was so real to me. I said, God, stop. Stop blessing me. Stop feeding me. Stop giving me seed. Stop it. Because I saw storehouses in my life just being filled. I was like, God, I don't know how to be a sower. I know that you're requiring things and I'm not the right person to be blessing. Stop blessing because I don't know how to feed other people. I don't know how to be a shepherd. I didn't even know I was going to be a pastor. I really didn't know what God was requiring of me. I just spiritually, it was hitting me like a ton of bricks. God was saying, you don't get to do what you want with your life, Ryan. I've called you. And I feel like there's kind of both, there could be both of us, or maybe there could be two different types of people here in the room this morning, or really... We can have two modes of thinking in the same person. I know I do this. Sometimes I think, I look at areas of my life and I see it as fallow ground. I say, ah, I have no ability in that area. I have no skill. I have no resources. I'm like, ah, I don't even want to touch that because I, I'm not good at it. I, I'll even tell you as an example, uh, this church used to have a softball team and they won championships and all these things. And then in those college years, I never played baseball growing up. I, I played sports, never played baseball, even at home, like on the street. It was the sport I never played. I joined the church softball team. 
After three games, I quit. Why did I quit? Because I realized I had no skill. And I, I didn't like losing. I didn't look like looking like the worst player on the, on the team, right? I was used to winning. I was used to being athletic. I was competitive. And I didn't like being looking like a fool. And so I gave up. I'm like, I'm not playing this stupid sport, right? I think some of us, there's things in our lives where we've tried things, and it says, ah, I'm not good at that. I'm not touched anymore. And God is saying, okay, maybe not softball, but there's certain things in your life. I'm using an example. There's things in your life where maybe you've given up, and God is saying, no. There's potential there. Or maybe there's some of us that we've got a lot of gifting, a lot of talent. We've got a lot of seed, and we're sowing sparingly. And God is calling us out this morning. He's wanting us to steward this. He's wanting us to bring that increase, that third point. He's saying, I want there to be an increase. I want there to be much fruit. How do we bless God? How do we honor him? How do we make him happy? It's by bearing much fruit. But there's things we have to do. And so there's this verse, Hosea 9.12. I already referenced it, referenced it several times. It says, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and reigns. I feel like there is an anointing on that, message, on that verse. Break up the fallow ground. I'm going to read it again. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and reigns. I know I'm stuck because I'm the pastor of this church. My mind just thinks about this church, and I already told you about children's classrooms. But I'm telling you, I see it in part, right? We, we, we prophesy in part, right? There's these things that Scripture talks about. One day we'll know completely. But right now, I'm just seeing in part. Actually, Sandy's been praying it lately. When Jesus prayed uh, for the blind man, and, and the scales came off, and at first all he saw were Men that looked like trees. It was fuzzy. He saw for the first time, but things were still blurry and fuzzy. And then the Lord prayed again, and then he saw completely clearly. I feel like a little bit what the Lord is doing to me this morning, and in this season, I'm praying that he's going to do to some of you, is at least we begin to see something. Maybe we haven't, we're not giving full birth to something this morning, but we begin to see, we begin to, to recognize that in this fallow ground, there's potential. And we begin to be obedient to proclaim promises. And we begin to take territory. We begin to increase his government. We begin to increase his possession. And I say possession because I feel like connected it spiritually and physically, I feel like there's some of you for homework, I would love for you to spend time with the Lord and say, okay, God, what are you requiring of me? I think God is saying this specifically into your own family, into your workplace, school, relationships, but I'm connected even here physically at this church in the body of Christ. And I say physically, I mean even on our property. What would it look, I'm just talking about this question. What would it look like if all of us, all of us who call this our home, I'll call it, we're supposed to be six foot distance. We'll call it a six by foot, six by foot square. What if everyone owned a six by foot, six by foot square of the property here? And we began to speak to that fallow ground. And we began to prophesy. We began to see things. We began to see things maybe just dimly at first, but we began to own that piece of property and say, this is where God is going to, there's going to be salvation. Someone's going to come to the Lord right here. There's going to be fruit. There's going to be ministry that takes place here. It could be in the parking lot, and there's going to be some type of parking lot ministry. I don't know what it is, but I mean, it doesn't have to be a physical thing. I'm thinking this whole last year, all of our ministry shut down. Before we just open up the floodgates and have a full-fledged men's ministry, 
a full-fledged this minute, you fill in the blank. I feel like the Lord is saying right now, he wants us to begin to see, not just do things the way we used to do them, not just do them because we should do them, but what is the Lord saying? That we begin to use this season to invest and begin to see the fallow ground that the Lord wants to break up, that the Lord wants to bring promises in. I'll say this. Those of you that are willing to give a personal investment, you're going to get a huge reward. I know it. There are some of you, and I don't mean this, I hope this does not come, come down shameful or trying to guilt trip you into something. I'm not trying to make you do something. I just feel like this morning, there are some of you who are catching what the Lord is saying to you personally. And the Lord is saying, as you steward this, there's going to be a blessing. Some of us, Maybe it's just not our season. It's not our, that's not what God is saying, and I'm fine with that, and we're just going to miss out on the blessing, but I don't want to be one who misses out on the blessing. I have to be careful because as a pastor, I see things. I see specific ministries. I've already been calling out specific individuals. I won't do that right now. I see some of you, and I want to be careful, but I see some of you guys doing things you have never done before. I see you being a part of a ministry, I'll even say some of you leading a ministry. But I don't want to say it yet. <sighs> Sounds really harsh. Because I don't want to abort a baby. I want, I want it to be conceived. I want, it, I want the Lord to knit it together in your womb. I want it to be the miracle that you steward. I don't want it to be because the pastor told me to. I want it to be your baby. And I see it. I see ministry. I'm, I'm telling you, I see it a little more clear than I've ever seen it before in the last eight years of being the pastor here. There's times in my prayer closet that I become, as I said after worship, I start getting a little rambunctious because I'm just starting to get excited. Oh God, I can taste it. I can see it. Oh man. Oh, there's so much verses I'll, i got to skip. But it talks about the hundredfold. There's things that God wants to increase. But I'll read this, at least one. I can find I'm skipping some. Mark 10, 29 says this. Jesus said, mark my words. No one who sacrifices will lose out. It will come back to him a hundred times as much in this lifetime and in the age to come. None of you who are willing to invest to sacrifice, to work, to break up fallow ground, to begin to invest and put some water, to do some things, will lose out. You're going to get rewarded. Yes, I know kingdom dollars, jewels in your crowns, all those things that we talk about in Christianese in heaven one day. Yes, you'll get all those. But it says even in this age, here on this earth, before Jesus returns, I see fruit of your labors. Don't give up. This is a season of conceiving. Birthing is just around the corner. The fruit is coming. Hmm. Yeah, Daniel, I saw you coming up. You can get the worship team to come up. So I got to wrap this up. Huh. Ah. All right, as they're coming up, one last thought. I'm trying to figure out what the Lord wants to make sure I hit before I close it up. Hmm. Okay, one last thought. I think many of us in this room are willing 
there is a willingness to participate in what God wants to do in your life. I feel like if you are honest, there's a willingness. Like, I, I want to please God. I want to, to do what God wants me to do in my life. There's a willingness in your, in your, in your heart and in your mindset. But I heard a great analogy. I heard a pastor share. There's a difference between um, he had gotten a new massage chair, and I saw my kids in a massage chair yesterday. There's a difference when he's sitting in his, at home in his massage chair, oh, completely relaxed, and his wife says, hey, are you hungry? Oh, I'm starving. You want me to get you something from the kitchen? Oh, yes, that would be great. And his wife comes and brings him some food from the kitchen, and he sits in that massage chair, and he just eats what was brought to him. He was willing to eat. He was hungry. He wanted some food. But that massage chair was so comfortable. And he says, I think sometimes we're like that. We're willing. Like, God, if you bring it into my lap, I'll do it. Just bring it to me. Just, put, just drop it in my lap and I'll do it. And God is saying, yeah, but I'm not looking for people who are just sitting in a massage chair willing. I'm looking for people who are actually going to go break up fallow ground. Go pioneer. Get up out of the massage chair and go find it. Go work for it. Go till the land. I'm telling you, there are promises in your life. There are things that God wants you to be excited every day you wake up in the morning. Like, I can't wait to what I'm about to do today. It's not just hard, toilsome labor. It's actually filled with joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. So as we close service, can I have you stand? We're getting ready to worship, worship the Lord. And say one last song. But would you close your eyes? And let's just ask what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. Because I shared lots of information, but I know the Holy Spirit can tailor it to each one of us. So in your heart, just right now, ask Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Just tell him, you don't want to be a hearer only. You want to be a doer of his word. So Holy Spirit, I thank you that you give specifics, that you guide us into all truth. I thank you that you don't shame us or condemn us, but that you fill us with power, that you comfort us, that you encourage us. That's who you are. You're the paraclete, the encourager. So Holy Spirit, I pray right now, reveal something that we need to be encouraged in. Reveal to us a fallow ground that needs to be broken up, that needs some prophesying, some promise spoken into. God, we will say amen to all of your promises, not just one promise. I think most of us here have said amen to your salvation. But God, I want to say amen to all of your promises. All of your promises are yes and fulfillment in what you have already done, Jesus. But I want all of your promises to be amen in my life. That I would fulfill all the promises, all the plans that you have for my life. I don't want to get to heaven and say I only fulfilled one promise. I want to fulfill them all. So we sing this song as a prophetic declaration of how we leave this place, Lord. All of your promises, they are yes, and they are amen. Would you sing with us this last song? <laughs>